Welcome to the Real Life English Podcast, where we help dedicated English learners just like you cultivate the courage, the confidence, and the skills that you need to understand real life native English, to communicate clearly with people from all around the world, and to make your life an epic global adventure. Now, are you ready to go beyond the classroom and start living your English? Can I get an aww, yeah? Moving to a new country can be an exciting and equally nerve wracking experience. But there are lots of ways that you can prepare for this and many things you can do whilst in your newfound home. That's why, in today's podcast episode, we are talking all about how to adapt to living in an English speaking country. So you'll find lots of tips on this topic if you keep listening. Also, don't forget that if you head on over to our Instagram at reallife.english, you'll find a bonus tip there. So check that out as soon as you finish listening to this podcast. Ah, yeah, boys and girls, citizens of the world. This is Ethan from Real Life English, where we believe that listening to podcasts is a fun, natural, convenient, and humorous way to learn English. So, download this podcast and listen to it while you're stuck in traffic, riding the bus scuba diving, or even... While you're on your morning run. <laughs> I'm joined here in the virtual Barcelona studio, as always, by the lovely Andrea. How's it going, Andrea? It's going well. Thanks for asking. How about you? I'm doing quite well. So you said in the summary of today's episode that... Moving to another country can be a nerve-wracking experience. What does that mean if something is nerve-wracking? Yeah, so when you lose your nerve or when something is nerve-wracking, that's a situation when you feel super nervous. So it's just a way to emphasize that feeling of nerves. Like, you know, you you get kind of taken over by that feeling of nervousness. So it becomes so nerve-wracking. You know, maybe you you're shaking at times, like you have those butterflies in your stomach where you can't really settle and you're anxious, all those sorts of feelings. Exactly. And it's a perfect word to describe that mix of emotions when you move abroad for the first time. So uh, leaving everything comfortable and familiar behind off on a big adventure. But hopefully some of today's tips will almost give you like a checklist if you are planning to move abroad, if you're even just thinking about it, so that you can have an idea of what the preparation for going off on that adventure might look like. But before we get into talking about that, we have a shout out for a very special app user and listener out there. Yes, so today's shout out comes from Ruta J, and they say, I would like to thank you guys so much for creating this marvelous podcast. I listen to it on my way to my internship and back or when I have some free time. I really love it. The interviews motivate me to improve my English and the notes with the transcripts are super helpful. Hugs from Lithuania. Uh, yeah, I think that's our first shout out ever from Lithuania. Maybe I'm mistaken, but that's fantastic. And they said that it's a marvelous podcast. What does marvelous mean? It's such a lovely word, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah, it's like another way of saying fantastic or wonderful. A great choice of vocabulary there, Ruta. So thanks so much for your marvelous 
review there of the app and the podcast. And if you, just like Ruta, want to get the full transcript, the notes, the vocabulary from this episode that you're listening to, then you're going to have to download the app. It's really simple to do it. You can find the link in the description of today's podcast, or you can search for Real Life English in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. And the really great thing as well, in addition to improving your comprehension of natives, is that you can speak English anytime, anywhere at the touch of a button with the app because you can connect with other learners and English speakers from around the world. And the other benefit there too is just discovering other cultures. So, you know, if you're planning to go live in another country, one of the big things that you need to do is grow some thicker skin to those cultural differences. And that can be a really fun way to do it while also improving your speaking. And if you do it, if you enjoy it, then leave us a five-star review and we might shout you out just like we have today for Ruta. So before we get into today's main topic, we have a very relevant kick-ass quote. Yeah, so today something a little bit different. We have a quote from Seneca. I am not born for one corner. The whole world is my native land. It's an amazing quote. It's one of my one of my favorite ones. And I think it's really a discovery. It's it's something that the first time I saw it, I could I could really vibe with it because that's really the sensation I got is is you know getting out of my country, getting out of the American perspective and everything made me realize, you know, that there's a whole big world out there and not just the place where I was born. That doesn't have to be my only home. The whole the whole world can be my home. Yeah, that's really lovely how it relates to you and your your life experience as well. I completely agree. Like even just traveling, growing up and seeing different cultures, learning about different cultures and everything, it's very eye-opening and it shows you, you know, how you can be in a bubble in the place that you live. But really, if you go out and discover new things, new cultures, you're not that different from from others as well. Um, but also there's just so much to learn and to explore, which is amazing. Yeah, it's a big world out there. So hopefully, dear listener, you get some experience getting to travel the world, getting to live somewhere else, or even just on our app or elsewhere, getting to meet people from other countries so that you can have a little bit of this experience. Because in the end, that which unites us as human beings is so much greater than the little differences that we have based on the corner of the world that we were born in. And really, it's up to all of us to kind of take care of our mother earth, right? Definitely. And I think as well, you know, living in another country, you get to meet even more people from different countries because Mm. living here in Barcelona, I've met so many people from all around the world that I would never have had that experience, I feel, if I was living in my hometown in London. Right. Of course, you can still do that, you know, if you're putting yourself out there and you're doing different meetups or doing lots of different activities and finding these groups, you can in your home country, which is great as well. But I think maybe I didn't, didn't even cross my mind at the time. What does it mean if something crosses your mind? So yeah, if something crosses your mind, then it it comes to mind like it it's a thought that you have. Mm-hmm. But if obviously, like I said, it didn't even cross my mind. It's like I never even thought of that. Yeah, I totally agree. It's when we're in our the place where we grew up, we tend to kind of be trapped in our bubble. We most of us, it's just like you're you're comfortable already. You have your group of friends, you have your family and stuff, so you don't really think to go out there and meet new people. Of course, some people, like you said, do this. Um, 
And if you're in a big city, most big cities, you can you can find different international circles and stuff. But really, if you move to another country, you're you have no choice but to meet new people. And usually, uh, I'm the same way here in Barcelona. Like a large part of my my friend group, some of them are from here originally, but a lot of them are from other countries. And I think one of the things that really facilitate that connection is that we're all in the same boat here. You know, we're all come from other countries, and uh, we met kind of when we were recently arrived and stuff and getting used to the different culture and getting used to living here. And and it was really great having this friend group that was so international and being able to share experiences like, uh, and just like Andrea comes from the UK and I'm from the US and stuff. And uh, just one example is Andrea is always pointing out great restaurants to me. So it can be really useful to know people, even if they aren't locals from that place, if they're also like you from the outside, then they can give you all sorts of pointers like that. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm putting the the cart before the horse in a sense. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So before we move into the main topic, I just wanted to remind everyone that you can send in your burning questions to us. So if you have an area of English that you're struggling with, or just a question that you want answered, you can send it in to us by email. You can email me at andrea at reallifeglobal.com and just tell us your name, where you're from and your question. And maybe you'll be hearing it on the podcast soon. Oh yeah. So with that said, let's talk all about some tips to adapt to living in another country. Hey there, real lifer. Have you downloaded the Real Life English app yet? On the app, Andrea and I will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and even speak English in the real world. So how do we do this? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast and Beyond Borders talk show, even this very episode, with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency. Plus, check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocabulary, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and so much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real-life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well, now with the Real Life app, it will be a dream come true. Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by going to www.reallifeglobal.com app. That's A-P-P. Or simply search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today and let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Ah, yeah. All right, so whether you're going to live in an English-speaking country or any other country, um, I know for a lot of people it might be the case, for example, that... You're going to a country that's not a native English-speaking country, but maybe where you're going to be using English as your lingua franca, the language that you're going to use to communicate. So I think these tips will still be useful for you. So what's the first thing that people should do before they even arrive in that other country, Andrea? So I think it's really important. I did this as well. Like before 
you leave, you want to do a bit of research, you know, just to prepare a little bit so that you don't just turn up and then trying to figure everything out. Cause I think that can be quite overwhelming. Yeah. I've, I've seen it both ways and, and definitely it can be quite overwhelming when you do not really do a lot of that preparation. I suppose there's, if you're going to be going through a program or something that you're going to have some sort of sense of security that when you arrive, you'll have people taking care of you. You can get away with not doing as much research, but if you do do research before you leave, then when you arrive, you're going to be able to not be so stressed because there's so when you first arrive, there's so much to do. There's so many new things. A lot of times you're having to speak the language all day long, which can be overwhelming even for your, when you're not used to that. So if you've taken care of some of the initial research before you arrive, then at least you'll have some peace of mind around that and be able to deal in time with the other stuff. Yeah, especially like, for example, I did some research before moving here and even just knowing that if you want to rent out a place, how many months rent you'd need in advance. That way, Mm. before you leave, you can be prepared and sort out your finances so that when you come, you're not stuck and have nowhere to live. Um, Because, you know, if you're not here on a program or having that support you kind of have to do it on your own and like I think we needed something like four months rent in advance so (laughs) that's a big chunk of change yeah it's a lot so just knowing knowing that before coming you know then you can prepare for that so it's not a big shock to you or you get stuck and then you're calling home being like mom dad can you can you uh, can you transfer me some money please (laughs) (laughs) no one wants to have to deal with that and pretty much if you're moving to any major city nowadays there's websites that you can calculate out that have all sorts of information about you know, what is the cost of living in that city? And so you can uh, go and look at this and see, you know, what is the cost of uh, different types of apartments? And you could see like more or less how much you'd be paying if you're going to be staying downtown or if you're going to be staying in another area, if you want to one bedroom or two bedroom or whatever you're looking for, if, or if you're planning on sharing an apartment with roommates. Um, and then, you know, what's the, these websites too will tend to have like a good calculation out of what's the average cost of living, how much groceries will cost, how much transportation costs and all these things. So if you can do the numbers a little bit before you arrive, that can just, again, help give you some peace of mind when you arrive because you'll know more or less um, what your budget is, what you can spend money on, where you should be living and all these things. Yeah, a simple Google search can really help you here. And also, I'm part of quite a few international Facebook groups here Mm. in Barcelona. And lots of people join these groups even before they've moved. And they ask these types of questions as well, like, where is a good area to live? This is my situation. This is my budget and things like that. So that's also a good way to get some advice from firsthand experience. Yeah. Or maybe even if you're are going the route of finding roommates. I I did the same thing like Mm -hmm. before moving here uh, and before moving to other places. And it's helped me to actually find an apartment um, even before arriving, you know, like, because a lot of times too, when you first arrive, you might be paying for a hostel or a hotel or Airbnb or whatever. So it's like each day extra that you're apartment hunting obviously is is a lot more money out of your pocket. So it can be helpful to already arrive and uh, have some apartment showings lined up. Mm, That makes sense. Um, And like, as long as we're talking about finances, it's really important to know too, like, do you need to set up a bank when you arrive? Like, for example, if you're getting an apartment, how do you tend to have to pay for that? Is it, can you pay with cash? 
do you need to make a bank transfer? And in that case, you probably would need a local bank. And if you need a local bank, you know, maybe doing some research about what are the best ones or like Andrew was saying, um, I found really useful to ask people who are already living there, their suggestions for this, because some banks will make it easier than others for foreigners to get a local bank account. So that can be useful to know like which ones. So you're not having to go in a day to a bunch of different banks trying to set up an account and having difficulties. You can know right away which one is the best one to go to. Yeah, that's like a really important thing to do early on. But in the meantime, you can check out how you can pay for things like, you know, if your credit cards or your debit cards will be accepted. I think generally this is a lot easier these days. I remember traveling maybe 10, 15 years ago. And sometimes this was something you needed to check because maybe you needed to call your bank and say that you were going to be traveling to a country so they didn't block your card and all those sorts of things. But it's changed a lot now, I think. And there's a lot of uh, best practices, though, to keep in mind. Like, um, for example, you could get scammed somewhere. So like knowing uh, one thing that happened to me, for example, was in Bali, taking money out of the ATM, my debit card got like copied or something because when I got back to the United States, my bank called me and said, hey, you have some charges in, in India. Have you been to India lately? I was like, I've never mm-hmm. been to India. So it's there's like things that they can put on the ATM that will like mm-hmm. make a copy of your card when you go to put it into get read. So it can be useful to know these kind of things because for example, if you're going to a certain country, then they might say, okay, avoid ATMs where you have to put it in, like look for the ones where, you know, you're just touching it or something like that, or actually Mm -hmm. like go inside the bank so that that doesn't happen. And it can be useful to know too, if in that country, if it's widely accepted to use credit cards, I think with COVID it's become much more widely accepted, but maybe Mm -hmm. you need to actually get some cash before you go in in the local currency or take cash with you to exchange when you arrive. on the, the top of credit cards too, something I know people get freaked out about in the United States is that when you go to a restaurant, usually they'll bring the bill and you put your card down and then they'll take the card away to the register, which is in another part of the restaurant. And they'll charge you there and then bring you your uh, your receipt. But for example, here in Barcelona, you're always supposed to keep an eye. They, they'll bring the actual machine to you to charge because um, people are very worried about this, about having their credit card information copied or something. So if that happens to you in the States, don't freak out. It's completely normal. You could, it's trustworthy. I've never had any issues with, uh, getting my card stolen in the USA, at least by, uh, the means of a, of a restaurant or something. Does that happen in the UK? Um, I haven't traveled to the US for a while and I, yeah, I, I must've forgotten (laughs) that's the case there. Um, in the UK now, I think it's more or less the same as we have here. They bring the card Mm. machine to the table. Yeah. That's much, much better. I I much prefer (laughs) it here. (laughs) But like when my parents came to visit, for example, it's like they always, you know, would hand the the card to the waiter, which people never do here. So, yeah. Yeah, usually you're just like waving your card and then they bring the machine to you. Yeah. Exactly. Or you're doing like the symbol for asking for the check and then telling them that you're going to pay with cards. So they just bring it right over. So don't forget that you can actually be a part of deciding the next podcast episode. So if you head on over to our Instagram at reallife.english, you'll find a poll there on our stories where you can vote for the next topic. Yeah, that's really awesome. So this episode was voted on by you guys and that's why we're making it. So if you want to make sure that we're making lessons that will be valuable for you, then you got to get over there and vote. 
Just a quick interruption to ask you a question. Do you ever feel frustrated when you are listening to a podcast, watching a TV series, or you are in a conversation in English and you do not understand what is said? Wouldn't it be great if there was some way to understand real English without getting lost and without getting bored? Well, now there is. With our real-life Native Immersion course, we will take you on a 41-week real-life adventure of the English language, each week exploring a different topic connected to our goal to help you understand and use your English in the real world. Just imagine understanding your favorite TV series without subtitles, or confidently speaking with someone and comprehending everything they say. You can do it, and we're here to help. And the best part is, you can try it for free with our three-part power learning series. Just go to reallifeglobal.com pod to sign up. That's P-O-D. Or simply click the link in the description of this episode. So we talked about opening a bank account, for example. This can be complicated depending where you're going. Maybe there's even some things that you have to get before you open a bank account. Like uh, sometimes they require you to already have a local ID. There's so many of these bureaucracy things. So if you're going with a program, they'll help you out with all these things. But if you're not, if you're in the case like us, these are things you're going to have to figure out for yourself. And it can be really nice to research that all before you arrive. Because again, you don't want to waste a lot of time at the beginning, you know, when you're when you're maybe having to be paying for an Airbnb or whatever the case is, trying to figure out how to get your local ID card or driver's license or whatever the case is. Yeah, just thinking about this now, I feel like if you're moving to an English-speaking country, this is kind of a bit more difficult now, like especially <laughs> in the UK because we were part of the EU. It mm-hmm. was relatively easy to move there because, you know, it was like e- even here... The bureaucracy can be quite frustrating sometimes, but generally there's like a a pattern you follow, like a series of things that you have to do. Whereas I know like in the US, you need a visa to get there. I think it's the same now in the UK. I know in Australia, it can be kind of tricky, like, you know, in terms of either having a student visa or having a job offer already and and things Mm -hmm. like that. It can be quite tricky, can't it? Right. That's definitely true. So really just knowing wherever you're going, what you're going to need. Like, um, I know one of the things I needed here, for example, was insurance. And I didn't realize that at first because I I think I've always gone through programs and they included that. Uh, but the last time I moved here, like, uh, coming up on five years ago, I had to, like, when I arrived, I had to look into insurance and everything. So that was kind of a pain, but this is something that you can do already from home. You can get traveler's insurance or something like that, that will cover you. So just knowing these things will make it a lot easier when you arrive and give you a little bit less of a headache. Yeah. And the good thing when I first moved here, the UK was still part of the EU. So we have like this European health card. So until Mm, you actually sign up for the national health service and things like that you can use this card um, to visit the doctor to go to the hospital whatever it is you need yeah i have that as well but you have to like register at the here at the what's called the cap which is what would that stand for it's something like the local medical office right for your neighborhood so like knowing these kind of things can be really useful like who do you have to talk to to get the set up and where is it uh, compared to where you're staying and everything. And that kind of leads into the next topic about transportation because it can be, depending on a, if you're moving to a big city, it can be quite difficult to get around. And 
If you're in the U.S., for example, you probably need a car. If you're moving to London, a car will probably just be a really expensive hindrance, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I think depending on where you're living, really, because like especially here living in the center of Barcelona, public transport's amazing. You can walk to so right. many places. You have the Beesing, which is like the bikes. There's these bike stations everywhere. And mm. you can you pay something like 40 or 50 euros a year and you just tap with your phone now with the app or the card if you have it and you can take out right. a bike. That's a good thing to know because a lot of cities have that now. Like I was talking to a friend in New York City and this is something that's become very common there that they have uh, electric, electric bike shares. So knowing that kind of thing too, if you're someone who likes to get around by bike, knowing uh, that and like you're, since you mentioned it too, knowing what are the bike laws, you know, can you go on the street? Are you supposed to go on the street? Can you go on the sidewalk? Because that's something that you don't, you can get a fine for, you know, if you're not careful. Yeah, because here I think it's a lot more relaxed. Like you don't necessarily have to wear a helmet or things like that. But right. then I think if you have your earphones in or your headphones mm -hmm. in and the police see you, you'll get a fine. I've seen that happen to a few people lately. Yeah, I've gotten a couple of warnings. Oh, have you? <laughs> oh, you're lucky you've just had warnings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in the UK, though, you have to wear a helmet. Like, it's really, mm -hmm. I think maybe it's against the law, I'm not sure. But definitely, like, it's even frowned upon. Like, people will probably tell you off for not wearing a helmet while riding a bike. Yeah, I think in the States, it's the same. I believe that's a state law, so it probably depends which state you're in, mm. but I think it's in most states you have to wear it. It's like one of the things that was mind-blowing for me in Thailand, for example. Um, I don't know if legally you're supposed to wear a helmet, but a lot of people did not wear a helmet on the on the scooters, you know, on, on the mopeds, oh, wow. on the electrical. Um, but in like Colorado, for example, in, in my states, like you have to wear a helmet if you're on a motorcycle. Yeah, definitely. It's the same in the UK. And then, you know, if you're living a bit further out, like not in the city, maybe you're living in the suburbs, that's probably a time where maybe, again, it depends on the country you're in. Public transportation might be fine, but that might be where you would want or need a car. I think maybe more in the States. What do you think? Because uh, they're just so big. I remember when I visited Colorado. <laughs> and, Colorado, you definitely need a car. <laughs> yeah, I think in downtown, I remember seeing some bus stops and, and things like that, but you don't frequently see so many buses and things. The U.S. is pretty infamous for having terrible public transportation. One thing that's gotten better, um, I mean, you'll have to look where you're, where you're going. Uh, if you're going to a big city, especially on the East Coast, the East Coast is... I think has a little bit better public transportation, but now it's really common, for example, to take a, an Uber or a Lyft, so a car mm -hmm. share. Um, I went to Miami like a year and a half ago and before COVID, and that's how we got around all the time uh, when we were going kind of like a longer distance was by Uber or Lyft. And it's pretty economic. I don't know how it is now with COVID, but it used to be able to do a share with other people. So it would pick up other people on the way and it ended up only being like a, a couple dollars per person. So if you're living in a big city and you don't have to get around that often, then that can be a great uh, a great option. So I guess kind of like just knowing if there's any apps that you should download before you arrive, because even, you know, uh, I just went to Amsterdam and we don't have Uber here in Barcelona, but in Amsterdam, the easiest way to get to town from the airport was by uh, by Uber. So it was useful having that app already on my phone and being logged in and everything. Uh, so 
knowing these kind of things can be really useful. And if you're in the U.S., especially in the West parts, not many trains, not many buses and everything. So you might want to look into getting a car. Yeah, that's definitely useful as well. I think just as well, maybe if you're a bit unsure of the taxis, then it's kind of a safer way for you, you you know, because you know how the apps work and stuff and you know what the cost will be. It can be really useful. And depending where you're going to, knowing what public transportation options there are, and especially what's the best way to pay for it? What's like the most economic way to pay for it? Because for example, I remember when I went to London, going on the underground without any sort of um, card, like just paying for an individual ticket was absurdly expensive. But if you have, Mm. I think it's called the Oyster card, right? If you have the Oyster card, it makes it a lot more reasonable. Yeah. It's um, public transport in the UK now can be really expensive. But yeah, Mm. with, if you get an Oyster card, it can be a lot cheaper, like half the price. So it's definitely worth it. You can just, you just put money on it. So you could put like 20 pounds on your Oyster card. And depending how many journeys you make, that Mm -hmm. depends, it, that depends on how long that money will last you. But generally, like if you're doing lots of trips, then it will kind of just charge you for like a day, a day travel card, as we call Mm -hmm. it, rather than lots of individual journeys that can be super expensive. Yeah. You don't want to be a chump like me and pay for each each uh, trip that you're taking. It ends up just costing a fortune. We talked kind of about like apps like Uber and Lyft, but maybe if they don't have that in the city that you're going to, one thing that talking to our team, some of them mentioned that in, in the USA, one thing that they were kind of shocked about compared to Brazil, say, is that there weren't a lot of taxis on the street. Again, it depends what city you go to. But if... Um, it can be good to know this because maybe you need to get the phone number for the taxi so you can book it in advance. Mm, yeah, that's really useful as well. That can help so you don't get scammed as well, right? Exactly, yeah. You might want to know like how much the journey is going to cost you because taxi drivers aren't always so honest. Maybe they'll do like a lot of um, like a lot of loops and whatnot, taking mm. you on a, on a side road. And if you're not from there, then <laughs> you won't know any better. You'll end up paying a fortune. Yeah, it even happened to me here once, actually. Um, Really? We took a really short journey just because it was raining. It was a super Mm -hmm. short journey. And when we arrived (laughs) to our destination, the taxi driver was like, he doubled the fare. And we were like what are you doing? And he was like, oh, it's uh, it's a holiday today, so it's double. And we were like, no. (laughs) He obviously thought we were tourists and stuff. And we were like... No, it's not double because even when it's a holiday, the fare is never doubled. It just it's just that the meter starts at a slightly different price. And um he he gave us a really hard time and got quite aggressive. It was kind of a little bit scary, but I mean that's only ever happened to me once here, but things like that can happen, yeah. Yeah. That's why I prefer when you're in a place where you even here, because you can use, there's an app called Freenow. I was prefer with like the apps and stuff because you have like the price ahead of time. So, you know, okay, the route and how much you're going to pay and everything. So if you're not, especially when you're not from a place and you don't really know what's normal or you don't know the streets, then it can be really useful just to know from the get-go how much you're going to pay. Yeah. You mentioned a word there that I would pronounce differently. I would say, you know, the route, not the route. That is interesting. <laughs> a root for us is like a like a beet or a uh, ginger, a root vegetable. 
her root vegetable. Yeah, <laughs> our pronunciation, our pronunciation of the two words, although they're spelled differently, is the same. There you go. We've been talking a lot about kind of like preparation, maybe before you go or when you first arrive, things that you have to figure out. But once you're actually like living there, and hopefully you've gotten your your apartment all settled, you've got your local ID, you've got your transport card, all all of that good stuff for all of that crazy stuff, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Um, you're finally ready to start living life in the new place. And a big mistake I've seen a lot of people make when they go to the States or Canada or the UK, for example, is that um, if you're in a big city, it can be really easy, maybe with the program you're going with, or you meet people from your home country, and maybe you just end up spending a lot of your time with people from your home country or, or people who speak your native language. And so I've just seen, I've had so many students, for example, who who did the whole study abroad thing and they came back and their English was barely better just because they, they spent so much of their time speaking their native language. Um, so I think it's really important that you really challenge yourself to get out of your comfort zone and figure out how to meet locals or like we were talking about meeting other foreigners who are also living the country, but that, you know, you'll speak English together because at least if you're going with the end that you want to get fluent in the language, then you don't want to fall into that trap. Yeah, definitely. Like, especially to begin with, like this can feel quite comforting, but you want to get out your comfort zone and meet people from different places as well as locals. Um, I remember to be honest, at the beginning of moving here, it was kind of tricky because I was working in an international school. So most of the staff were from the UK mainly, um, apart from like the other language teachers. So I made an effort, you know, to really get to know them, spend lunch times with them and try and speak the language and things like that. And then once you start to feel a bit more settled, you know, you can find these places where there's more locals, you can join meetups and meet people from um, international, you know, international people from everywhere. So it's not just that you're spending time with people from your home country. Right. Um, I think, and there's different ways you can do this. You could, if maybe there's some sport that you play at home or there's something that you enjoy doing at home, then you could look for a club that does that, like uh, a book club, you could get into an acting club if that's something that you enjoy doing or like Andrea dance club. Um, but you could also like take advantage that you're somewhere new and do something completely different that you've never tried before. And it's a, kind of a mix because, you know, you're, you're going to meet locals and stuff who are also doing that thing, but you're also trying something new. Like you're really doing some things that you wouldn't do back at home. And I think that's one of the great things when you go abroad is you can kind of in a sense, reinvent yourself or, or use it as a, an opportunity to try things that maybe you've, you've never have thought of before or never would have done before. So I've found this is a really great way to meet people uh, in a lot of the different places that I live. Like I, I got into like rock climbing when I was in, in Brazil, and this was a great way to meet like Brazilians that, that also were into that and stuff. Um, when I first moved here, the thing I did a lot was going to language exchanges. And this, that's how mm -hmm. I met also like a lot of really international friends and got to also practice some of the other languages that I met and met people who also love learning languages. So I think doing things where you're getting out of your comfort zone and where you can meet people through your interests are both things that are going to just bring a lot of fun, a lot of enjoyment to the experience and, and are going to help you a lot quicker to, to get settled and to make the most of that time. 
Definitely. And that leads on really well to our next tip, which is to understand the culture. So like you mentioned, it doesn't just have to be like interests or things that you've been doing at home, but you could try something new. So for example, getting into a local sport. Um, I know when we moved here, my husband really wanted to play football because it was something he was doing at home, but football's huge here in Barcelona as well. And he met people, again, from so many different places, people from here as well, a lot of locals, even ex-Barcelona players, um, (laughs) which was quite incredible. So if you just put yourself out there and you try something new as well, then it's a really great opportunity to meet locals, but also to get a better understanding of the culture. Because I think even that, just playing football, here is very different to playing football in the UK as well in terms of mentality, some of the rules, things like that. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And sports or clubs like that, they're really good because it's such a bonding experience. Like when you're playing soccer, football together, or when you're like dancing together, or when you're uh, even reading a book together, like these kinds of things, you know, you're connecting over an interest, but they also are things that just create kind of bond because you're you're doing something, working together or sharing ideas. Um, but maybe you also want to do something that's more related to the, the local culture. Like one guy on our team, Izzy, got really, he went to the U.S. for uh, several months and he got really into American football and mm. like would watch the games and, and he has like excellent English and stuff because... Um, and in part, I think he found that really useful to improve his English. But the great thing about that too is, is you know, Americans are really into American football, obviously. And so it can be a way to, you know, maybe you go to a bar and like you watch the game and you meet other other football fans or um, you could join like a club for, for, that, uh, for that team. And there's like another, again, like a lot of camaraderie there um, around, you know, rooting for the same team. That was something when I first because I've never been into soccer or football. Uh, but when I first moved to Mallorca, which was my first experience in Spain, um, I used, we used to go with my roommates who were from here and go and watch the Barcelona games at the bar and stuff. And so that was really great because I kind of like learned some things about soccer and it was like a great, good way to, to bond as well. Yeah. And even if you're not that into it, like it's not one of your main interests, it's a really great way to get to know the culture again, because depending, it can be a huge part of the culture, especially sport in certain countries. It reminds me of that episode of Friends where Ross <laughs> is, you know, dating an English woman and, and uh, to try to impress her, he goes and plays rugby with her friends, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just <laughs> yeah, doesn't do it so hot. <laughs> no, because rugby is, yeah, it's a tough sport. It, it Brutal, kind of right? looks a bit like American football, but without all the protection, like the <laughs> helmet and, you know, they just, they don't really wear anything other than I think a really small helmet and maybe... Um, a mouth guard. guard to protect their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a, a great episode. But I mean, doing those kind of things, it can be a really great way to get in touch with the culture. So, um, and something else I wouldn't shirk away from trying new food and stuff. Like, at first, it can be really weird too if you're not used to like, eating certain things or maybe it just combinations of foods or spices or different things might seem weird to you. 
but it can be especially uh, some of my best experiences are just going to parties that I was invited to or dinners or things like that. And like, you know, trying your friend's mom's cooking or something like that, like really getting the local experience and, and just being open to, to everything, to trying everything at least once, because sometimes it's, uh, I think it's a really fun way to get in touch with the culture, but it's also just, um, again, kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, trying things you wouldn't do back at home. Yeah, definitely. Especially when it comes to food, I'm always like, you have to try it at least once Mm -hmm. and you have to try it to know whether or not you like it. Um, Like, for example, recently with my mother-in-law, I was like, oh, do you want some avocado in your salad? And I said, do you like avocado? And she said, no, I don't, but I've I've never actually eaten it. And I was like, well, you have to try (laughs) it at least. And she tried it and she really liked it. So... You never know, but even if you don't like it, you know, at least you've, like you said, come out your comfort zone, you're trying something new and you can say like it's it's a nice talking point or a nice story to have, like when you tried a certain food um, and then what the outcome was. Totally. And um, again, it can be a nice way to meet people or to, to bond with people. So we talked a lot about like getting out of your comfort zone and not falling into the trap of spending too much time around people from your home country. But of course, you shouldn't like completely push people away or anything. You don't want to spend all your time with people from your home country, all your time speaking your mother tongue. But <laughs> it can be useful to know people who are from your home country or who speak your, your own language who maybe have more experience than you living in the country. And they can show you the ropes. They can you know, help you discover and not make the same mistakes that they made when they moved there. Um, Or maybe just make good recommendations of the best restaurants or places where you can get food from your home country. So, uh, And when you are feeling homesick or something like that, it can definitely be useful to have those people around you that can help you get like a taste of home. So I think it's important to have both, to have your your support network that can help you when you're going through difficult times of, of adjusting, but not to spend all of your time there to make sure you're also getting the local experience. So over on our Instagram, we have a post that's all about that, talking about things like once you're settled in the country, how you can stay in touch also with your home country. And you're not going to want to miss that. So be sure to head over to at reallife.english and check that out. So thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Real Life English podcast. One, two, three. Ah, yeah. Hey again, I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. Don't be a stranger. You can find all the notes like vocabulary, links, and more for this lesson on our blog at reallifeglobal.com. And connect with us and on Instagram at reallife.english for even more fun English recommendations. Do you want to continue your learning and get confident, fluent English? Then I have a couple great recommendations for you. First of all, check out our YouTube channel, Learn English with TV series, where you can have fun learning to understand fast-speaking natives with your favorite movies, series, and more without getting lost, without missing the jokes, and without subtitles. Second, if you like our podcast, then our real-life native immersion course is perfect for you. It is the next best thing to studying abroad in an English-speaking country. Try it for free with our three-part power learning series. Just go to reallifeglobal.com slash pod to sign up.
Finally, if you are enjoying our podcast, then please assist us in helping more people go beyond the classroom and live their English. You can do this by sending a link to this podcast to a friend or by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening. We might even shout you out on the podcast. Stay healthy and safe, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Aw, yeah.